Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me, if you would please, to the book of Psalms. Psalm 100. Psalm 100. Living with a higher level of gratitude. Living with a higher level of gratitude. Uh, I always like to give credit where credit is due. If you have uh, James Montgomery Boyce's expositions of the Psalms, you have some of the richest writings out there on the Psalms. I would encourage you, it's a multi-volume set to get that if you don't have it. And uh, I'm heavily dependent on many of his thoughts from... Uh, Psalm 100 this morning, such a rich exposition that he he gives of this. So again, I always like to give credit where credit is due. But uh, anyway, stand for the reading of God's Word, please, and uh, keep your Bibles open to this psalm. And if you would also find Ephesians 1 in your copy of the Scripture, because later on in the message, we'll be pulling in some elements from Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 and beginning in verse 3. Living with a higher level of gratitude. He says here, a psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. Lord, indeed, as we gather this morning, we we must confess that as we look at life, there is much for which we need to give thanks. Lord, we thank you for calling us to yourself and giving us your adoption. Adoption as children into your family and writing our names in the Lamb's book of life. God, I pray that as your children, we would never get over that work of grace that you've done in us. Lord, that each day of our life would be a day lived in yieldedness and submission to you and your will. God, that we would seek your face. That we would live in such a way that when we stand before you one day, we would hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. God, help us to walk worthy of the gospel and this great salvation that we have. May thanksgiving and praise continually be the sacrifice of praise that's on our lips. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jim and Elizabeth Elliot went as missionaries many years ago to the Quechua Indians of Ecuador. Now, while they were there ministering to that one tribe, they came into contact with another tribe, the Alka Indians. The Alka Indians were a very fierce tribal group who killed 
everybody from the outside just about that ever came into contact with them. Well, after entering Alka territory and believing that they had befriended three of the tribal members, Jim Elliott and four of his missionary friends were savagely speared to death. Elizabeth and their 10-month-old baby girl, Valerie, went to live among the Quechua tribe. And, and through that experience, she was able to reach with the gospel the Alcas who had killed her husband. Now, she discovered that among some of these tribes, ethics and morals as we know them were non-existent. And she also noticed that in their language, there was no word for gratitude. Now, when these tribes were relating to people outside of their tribe, they had a word for gratitude that they had borrowed from the Spaniards. But when it came to dealing with those in their own tribe, they had no word for gratitude or thanksgiving. Now, folks, think about that for a moment. Here was a tribe who knew nothing about God. And this tribe that knew nothing about God had no word for gratitude. Now, that ought to say something to us. As we open Psalm 100, we see that God's people, on the other hand, are to be a grateful people. Gratitude is something that ought to set you and me apart from the unbelievers around us. Gratitude is to be our response to God for His grace and His goodness. Everywhere God's grace and goodness has entered into our lives, our response ought to be submission and thanksgiving and praise to Him. Now the first thing I want you to notice with me this morning is approaching God. Approaching God. Look again at what he says in the first two verses. He says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness and come into His presence with singing. Now, it's striking to me to note that this is the only psalm in the entire book of Psalms that specifically says it is a psalm for thanksgiving. Now, that doesn't mean it's the only psalm that mentions thanksgiving. For example, Psalm 107 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He's good. And over and over it admonishes us to give thanks to God for His loving kindness. Psalm 18 says much the same thing. In fact, in Psalm 8, 118, there are more references to thanksgiving than in any other single psalm. But yet, even given those facts, nonetheless, Psalm 100 is the only psalm that the title of it specifically says, this is a psalm for thanksgiving. I don't know if you've ever thought of this very much, but how do you express gratitude to people? How do you best express gratitude on the horizontal level when somebody does something nice for you? Do you give them a gift? Do you take them out to eat? Do you write them a note? Well, you might do all of those things or any one of them. 
We do things to express thanksgiving to one another on the horizontal level. But how about when it comes on the vertical level, our thanksgiving to God? What are we to do in a case like that? Well, he tells us here. He tells us exactly what we should do in this song. In giving thanksgiving to God. Now folks, I want you to think for a moment about giving thanks to God. Because as we think about giving thanks to God, it might run through our minds, what in the world could I ever do for God? What could I ever give to God that would enrich Him any? Because He owns everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. There is nothing that you and I could ever do to bring anything to God that would enrich Him. And so again, how can we express thanksgiving? Well, right here he says it ought to start with a very definite mindset. He says, applaud him with shouts of joy. He says, shout joyfully to the Lord. Is that something you're comfortable with? Shout joyfully to the Lord. Now, the Hebrews tended to be, and in many occasions, the Hebrews tended to be a very expressive people. Probably more expressive emotionally than than we are. We tend to be a little more reserved, and, and in many occasions, they were not. You know, it can be quite a lesson in humanity to go to different places of worship and see how people worship. Now, I I realize I've had that opportunity probably more than most of you to go into different settings and different places and see how different cultures and different peoples worship. I've been in churches before in gatherings preaching the gospel and, and there would be lots of amens and shouts and hallelujahs and thankfully most of those would be placed at appropriate times and it would be very encouraging. It would have, have a way of kind of carrying you through the message. Any preacher will tell you about 90% of a good sermon is audience participation. Amen. You can participate just through your attention and your body language and your facial expression. On the other hand, I've been in situations before where the amens and hallelujahs and shouts of praise uh, were so frequent and loud and sometimes not always well placed, it would almost be a distraction. At other times, I've been in places, like I said to somebody before, if if somebody would have died in the congregation and we had to call 911, the emergency crews would have probably hauled out 50 people before they got the right one. Different ways that we worship. Charles Page was always famous for saying some congregations look like they've been raised on dill pickles and had a relapse. (laughs) Some of you this morning might fit that, by the way. (laughs) When we think about that, when we think about very little response in our worship, is that really how we want to express gratitude to our great God? I don't think so. 
Worse yet, is there nothing down deep in our hearts to express to him? Charles Spurgeon once said, Our happy God ought to be worshipped by happy people. A cheerful spirit is in keeping with his nature, his acts, and the gratitude which we should cherish for his mercies. Think of that last phrase that he said, for his mercies. Folks, when we come to worship and reflect on God's mercies to us in Christ, shouldn't that do something for our attitude? Think of that story, that that, that parable that Jesus told over in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 16. Remember that story where there was Lazarus and the rich man and Lazarus died and no surprise because he lived a destitute life of of starvation. He died and, and the Bible says he went to Abraham's bosom. That was a Jewish way of saying he went to heaven. The rich man also died. Now he didn't, he didn't go to hell because he was rich. A lot of godly rich people in, in the Bible. But he lived his life without Christ and so he died without Christ. And it says in hell he lifted up his eyes while in torment and cried out Father Abraham. Now, folks, what if we could grab a hold of that fella, bring him back? What if God gave him a second chance? The Bible never talks about second chances, so please don't misunderstand. But what if God gave that guy a second chance and and, and got him out of those flames of, of torment and set him down among his people again? You think that guy would have... Something to teach his people about worship. I think so. I think so. And isn't that essentially what God has done for each and every one of us? He has snatched us from the flames of hell. He's written our names in the Lamb's book of life. And he has given us a heavenly inheritance. Now folks, that's mercy. And mercy like that ought to affect our worship. Look with me a minute over at Ephesians chapter 1 at at what Paul enumerates for us there. All that God has done in behalf of his people. He says beginning there in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's offering praise here and thanksgiving and he begins to enumerate the reasons why. Notice in verse 4 he says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. The redeemed of the world have been chosen. They've been chosen. They've been elect in Christ from the foundation of the world. He goes on to say there, In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Verse 7, he says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. All of our sins washed away. You know, David said in in one of the Psalms, he's not treated us as our sins deserve. As far as the east is from the west, he's taken our sins and cast them away from us. Amen? He says in verse 9, he's made known to us the mystery of his will. Folks, think about this time in history that we live, living on this side of the cross. 
In earlier ages, the Old Testament saints, they, they looked at things kind of in shadows, we might say, as God prophesied about the things to come. And they probably wondered about what the coming of the Messiah was going to be like and what all God was going to do and, and what all their experiences would be. But, but we don't look forward to that in shadows. We look back on it. We, we, we have the privilege of having the, the whole canon of Scripture and, and we see the mystery of God's will that's been unfolded for us. That also means we have more to be accountable for. But nonetheless, God's made known to us the mystery of His will. And then He says, in Him we've obtained an inheritance. Folks, think about that inheritance that we have laid up in store for us. That the Apostle Peter says, nothing can affect it. It cannot fade or be erased in any way. It is reserved in heaven for you. He goes on here to talk about being sealed by the Holy Spirit to the day of redemption. Would you say that's mercies? Would you say that's grace? Absolutely. Well, that, that is all reason why we ought to do exactly what he's commanding here in verse 1. And that's make a joyful noise to the Lord and serve the Lord with gladness. And notice who he says ought to do this. He says in verse 1, at the, at the end of verse 1, All of the earth make a joyful noise to the Lord, all of the earth. Indeed, the Bible says he makes his sun to shine on the just and the unjust, and his rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Everybody, even unbelievers, have reason. To sing joyfully or shout joyfully to the Lord, right? In fact, in Romans 1, Paul says those who don't worship God, those who don't acknowledge Him, those who don't give thanks are those who don't know God. Now, what's that say to the thousands and even millions of people on church rolls across the nation. And for one reason or another, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, they choose never to be a part of worship. I realize some of them are providentially hindered. But what about those who just make a choice? It's Sunday morning and they, they, they get up and they're about everything else but worship. I'm afraid what the Bible is saying about many of them is they don't include worship in their lives because they do not know God. The Bible in Psalm 107 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. All of the earth has reason to make a joyful noise to the Lord. Well, not only applaud Him with shouts, but also attend Him with gladness. He says here, serve the Lord with gladness. Again and again, the Bible admonishes those who are recipients of God's grace and mercy to respond not just with worship, but also with tangible deeds of service. We're not just to be takers, but givers. We're to reach out and, and serve and, and give. Service reflects gratitude. Jesus said service is a way to be great in His kingdom. 
John 13, he did what one of the other disciples should have already done. He rose from the table and, and girded his waist with, with that towel and took a basin of water and washed the disciples' feet. And he said, I've given you an example of service and you'll be blessed if you go and do this. He told his disciples when they were arguing about who was going to be first among them, he said, the one who's the last of all and the servant of all is the greatest. Paul said in Romans 12, 1, that, that great verse about our lives being a living sacrifice. He said, this is your reasonable act of service. In other words, service is a part of our worship. Worship isn't just about singing hymns. Coming together as a group of people and, and singing hymns, we're to do that. But, but service is also a part uh, of our worship. We leave here and we go out to serve. And notice what he says here, that we are to serve the Lord with gladness. I hope you're not in your car on Sunday morning griping all the way here. No, I got to get to church and sing in the choir today or I've got to work in the nursery or do this or that, be an usher or be a greeter and grumble and growl all the way here. That's how some people probably serve. But notice what he says, serve the Lord with gladness. Folks, I not only have to do this, I get to do this. Amen? We get to serve him. And then he says here, acknowledge him with singing. Come before him with singing. Come before him with singing. It always disturbs me to look around and we might be singing, Victory in Jesus or Great is Thy Faithfulness. Somebody just be sitting there. Now, I realize on any given Sunday, you might be carrying a burden in your heart. You might not feel like singing. But I'm talking about those who, week after week, year after year, just nothing. He commands us here that we are to sing. It's a command, folks. It's not a suggestion. Somebody who would never think of breaking one of the Ten Commandments, maybe they'd say, oh, I'm not going to go out and murder. I'm not going to do this or that. They might come to church, and when the church starts singing, they do like this. They're breaking one of the commands of God. This is a command. So as we approach God, he's saying, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Second thing I want you to notice with me this morning is out of verse 3. He talks about apprehending God. Knowing God. He says, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. There's a knowledge that is to shape us. We are to apprehend, we are to know that God made us, not we ourselves. And so we are, we are to express gratitude to God as our creator. 
You know, there's this persistent theory that continues to sweep the world and sweep the nation. It's only a theory. It's not established fact. And more and more scientists are even saying that. It's not even good science. But it's the theory of evolution. And and strange that the court systems have said it's the only dialogue that's even allowed in a classroom. Can't even bring up anything. uh, Dialogue about other options. Or entertain others. Blew my mind one day to read a statement by an evolutionist. He said, we now know as science continues to evolve itself, we now know that evidence is on the side of the creationist. But we're not going to acknowledge that. Because to acknowledge creationism would mean that we would have to acknowledge a creator. And we are simply unwilling to even entertain that as an option. I thought, now that's, that says it all, doesn't it? About where they're coming from. You see, if we made ourselves, or if some blind and random forces of coincidence or fate made us, then, then we're not accountable to anybody, nor do we owe anybody or anything any type of gratitude. But there's the command here to recognize God is our creator. And when we recognize God is our creator, then that changes everything. Folks, we're to celebrate life as a gift from God. How can we not be thankful for life and defend life and protect life and value life? Life is His gift. But if you take God out of the equation, there's really no rhyme or reason for for life other than some kind of utilitarian value. As long as somebody has utilitarian value to the rest of society, then their life matters. When they cease having some kind of value to society, then some are saying, hey, their life doesn't have value anymore. That's why we stick them aside somewhere and don't pay attention to them anymore. But folks, if life has intrinsic value because we're made in the image of God, then that ought to change everything, should it not? We're to thank God for life. There would be no life apart from Him. God is our creator. He says here, it is He who made us and not we ourselves. Life is a gift from God to celebrate. Know Him, apprehend Him as our Creator and express thanks to Him for that. But then He moves on to say we ought to apprehend Him in another way. We ought to know Him in another way. We ought to express thanksgiving to Him for being our Redeemer. He's not only our Creator but our Redeemer. He says here we're His people, the sheep of His pasture. We're to give thanks because through Christ, God has made us His. Through the cross, God has made peace. He has made peace and reconciled us to Himself through the sacrifice of His Son. We're His. Regardless of what comes in life, we're still His. Troubles may come your way. Guess what? You're His. Suffering may come your way. Guess what? You're still His. 
Sickness may come your way. Guess what? You're still His. Death may come. What's the biblical answer to that? You're still His. We are the sheep of His pasture. And what a wonderful shepherd He is. And so we're to give thanks. He's our creator. He's our redeemer. He's the one who has saved our life from the pit and from destruction. The blind poet Milton said, He that is ungrateful has no guilt but one. All other crimes may pass for virtues in him. You hear what Milton is saying? He said, every other fault in a man is a virtue. Every other fault is like a virtue compared to the vice of ingratitude. Someone else has written, the thief may have some streaks of honesty in him. The deadbeat may have some spots of honor in him. The liar uh, has times when he tells the truth. The libertine has occasions when he lives a pure life. But there is nothing redemptive in an ingrate. Powerful words. We need to know God as our creator. It's he that made us and we're accountable back to him for our life. And it's he that's redeemed us. We're the sheep of his pasture. And then thirdly here he talks about adoring God. Adoring God. Look at verses 4 and 5. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Folks, we see here some corporate commands. Again, that all of God's people are commanded to do. And the first here, he says that we are to enter his gates. Now think of that a, min a minute. Because the temple and Jerusalem, there, there were... The wall around the city and the temple and the gates. And so when the people would come to Jerusalem to worship, what would they first have to do? They would have to enter in through the gates. In other words, what he's talking about here is they need to gather together for, here it is again, corporate worship. Corporate worship, it was an indication that God's people were to take time out of their lives and they were to enter in to His gates, to that place of worship and give Him the praise that is due His name. After all, Jesus said, I'll build my church. The church, of course, we know is not bricks and mortar, but us. But if there wasn't a corporate nature to it, Jesus would have said, I will build the individual, but he said, I'll build my church. Again, we're to corporately gather together. And as we do so, we're to enter into his courts with thanksgiving and praise and to bless his name. Have we grown too accustomed to his blessings and goodness in our lives that, that we've grown complacent about doing this 
I, I think of the two gentlemen. One was visiting the other, and the other, uh, as his wife brought him dinner, this man said to his wife, Honey, you sure look beautiful today. Honey, what a great meal this is. The, the, the house looks great. Uh, just kept complimenting his wife, and the other guy said, why are you doing that? He said, because she deserves it. This guy went home and started complimenting his wife. You look great today, honey. What a wonderful meal. She burst out in tears. He said, what's wrong? She said, well, Billy got in trouble today at school and got suspended. I had a flat tire on the way home, and now you come home drunk. <laughs> Is that how we are? We've just grown so accustomed to God's blessings. We don't even give Him thanks anymore. And if we were to give Him thanks, He'd be surprised by it. We're not to be that way. We're to enter His gates with thanksgiving. There's to be gratitude. And in verse 5, we see why. He talks here about because of God's character, because of who He is. You see, in the first half of the psalm, He's talked about what God has done. God has created us and God has redeemed us. But now He's talking about who God is, God's character. And notice what He says here. He says, for the Lord is what? He's good. Now, folks, the, the gods, the false gods of the pagans around Israel, they're, they're, those people did not have a concept of their false gods that they were good. In fact, they were mean and petty. The gods they worshipped. They, in fear, they would have to do something to try to appease them every day because if they didn't, your god might strike you dead or something. But the God of the Bible is not that way. He is good. God is good. God created this world and He said it is good. Each day it is good and finally it, it is very good. A good creation is all that God could make. When He gave the law, He pronounced the law as being good. When He reveals His will, Paul says in Romans 12 too, God's will is good. When He saved us in Christ and sent us in the Great Commission out to tell the world, what is it that we share? We share good news. God is good. Everything He does is good because He's a good God. Not only is He good, but notice what He goes on to say here, His steadfast love endures forever. Many attributes of God that we thank Him for and praise Him for. But here He mentions love. John says in 1 John, God is love. And, and He says here, His steadfast love endures forever. Not only His steadfast love, but He goes on to mention His faithfulness. His faithfulness endures to all generations. God is faithful. As Alvin Toffler reminded us many, many years ago in his book, Future Shock, 
Change is happening in this world all about us faster and faster and faster and faster as the years go on. And yet in the midst of it all, God is faithful. He changes not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And everything He does in our lives, whether we like it or not at the time... He sifts it first through his fingers of love and faithfulness and mercy. He's good. He's faithful. And so he's saying here we need to enter into his courts and we need to praise him for that. He's good. He was faithful to Abraham. He was faithful to to Noah before that. He was faithful to Jacob and and Rahab, and, and, and Daniel, and all the prophets. He was faithful to the apostles in the New Testament. And guess what? He's faithful to me and you too. He's faithful. His faithfulness endures to all generations. And so we need to approach God, making a joyful noise and shouting to the Lord. We need to serve Him with gladness, come into His presence with singing. We need to apprehend God. We need to know Him as Creator and Redeemer. And we need to adore Him together. We need to enter into His courts and praise Him because of His love and His unfailing faithfulness. This week, I want to challenge you to examine your heart when it comes to gratitude. Think about all the ways that God has been good to you. Folks, if you stop and think about it, if you were to go home this afternoon and, and this week just begin enumerating all the ways as you think back over your life that God has been good to you, one notebook wouldn't be enough. Again, have we grown so accustomed to plenty? Have we grown so accustomed to comfort that we have started failing to recognize where all this goodness comes from? We need to thank God. We need to think about God's activities in creating us and redeeming us. He didn't have to do this. He didn't have to make you, but He did. And so your life is His now, and it ought to be returned to Him in grateful service. He didn't have to save you, but He did. Think about that and praise Him for that. Lord, we do want to take time this week. And, and this week, what we do this week of Thanksgiving... Lord, it, it needs to be more than just a week or a, a day on the calendar, but a part of a believer's life. Again, I think of that tribe of people that the Elliots went to who did not know you. They did not know you and had no concept and no word for gratitude. Lord, help us not to be like the unbelievers. May our hearts be filled with praise to you because you're worthy. 
God, I pray that our lives and our worship and our service would be like a sacrifice 